Can I get a witness? Right. Hey, yeah, right, right. Can I get a witness? They see it a little. Whoa, see, hey, whoa, pastor. Right. Now, when you ask for a witness, this can either be a good thing or a bad thing. All right? Context is king here. All right? So if you are one of multiple siblings in your household, right, and uh, you know your other sibling did something and the parents are going, all right, which one of you did it? You, as one of the three, are going, can I get a witness? I know. I was, I was over there. I was nowhere near where that mess was, right? You're trying to build your case. How many of you grew up single, though, right? You were the only child in the house. Just leave your hands up there. Yeah. There, there was nothing for you, right? I mean, it, you could have said the dog. You could have said it was the neighbor kid, and your parents are like, mm-mm. But if there's two or three of you in a room, if there's two or three around you at work, and you say, can I get a witness? I just, somebody to back me up. If you've ever been in a car wreck, right? I know that that light, it was red. I, I, I mean, it was green. Well, I, which one, officer, which one would help me here? Which one should it have been? And you ask the other people, can I, can I have a witness? Do, do, do you back me up? You see, I think having a witness really is a pretty good thing. Until when? When you messed up. And then our claim is, no, there were no witnesses. There was, uh, uh, there was nobody around, right? And now we got cameras everywhere. You can't seem to escape. The fact that there is always a witness. And again, when we come down that line of thinking, we tend to think, oh, that's because I was doing something wrong, and, and I, is there a witness to convict me? But I want you to know something this morning. We tend to think of that phrase in that negative light because we know our own hearts, and that's fine. We know our own sin. Okay. But I want us to quit living as if we're looking over our shoulder all the time going, I hope there aren't any witnesses, but that our life is so transformed and so changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can walk around going, I hope there's a witness. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be ashamed of how I'm living my life. In fact, I want to live in such a way that people see my good deeds and give honor and glory to God who is in heaven. Amen? Now, some of you are playing good Lutherans, and you're like, I don't know what he had for breakfast this morning, but if we're going to keep saying amen, <laughs> you're going to feel nervous. <laughs> but do you understand, part of the amen, the literal word means, let it be so. When you say amen to someone, you're saying, I witness, let it be as you have just proclaimed. So don't be ashamed of amening somebody. Now, you got to let me get through it. If you give me about 20 or 30 during a sermon, the sermon exponentially grows. So some of you are going, don't go past 20. Do not go past 20 amens. Here's the deal. You've been called to be a witness to the ends of the earth. In everything that you do, in everything that you say, in everything that God has given to you, you are called to be a witness to Jesus Christ. You are called to be a witness to the blessings that he has given you, and you don't get to opt out. 
You absolutely do not get to say in any way, shape, or form, I'll do it my own way. You don't get to do that. Parents, you bring your kids to the holy water of baptism. Why? Because it's part of being a witness. And you bring your kids to Sunday school and you bring them to church because it's about building their witness. See, the issue is, is you all have a story, you just don't know it yet. And the problem is, is you think you don't have a story that's worth telling. How many of you have heard a testimony from someone and you just were really rocked by it. You heard their testimony, wow, they were shooting up drugs, and they were drunk half the time, and they were out on the streets, and then God came in, rescued them, right? Gave them a family, gave them a second chance, and you're like, that's awesome, right? You've heard those kinds of testimonies. And you just sit there and you go, oh, I don't have one of those. My parents didn't let me take drugs. <laughs> I, I got my butt beat every time I was late, so there was no partying, okay? I don't have one of those. No, do you just realize you just told a testimony that said, my parents so loved me that they clamped down on my social calendar? I know, some of you are. You're absolutely looking around at parents right now going, mm-hmm. So... So the issue is, you have a testimony. I will guarantee you, you have a testimony. Now, I don't know if it's because you're scared. I don't know if you're afraid to be made fun of. I don't know if you are, are, are introverted and you're just like, I don't want to talk about it. I, can I just hide? No. You can't. And I know for you introverts, it's just like, oh, no. But how many of you qualify yourself as an introvert? Just go ahead and raise your I know this is hard, but raise your hands. How many of you introverts know another introvert? That's who you can witness to. You don't have to go up to the on the corner screamers and the extroverts and the loud party. You, don't have, you can go to other introverts. Here's the story. You're following along. We're in Acts chapter 26. Paul has been leading. We've only got two weeks left, today and next Sunday in the book of Acts. We've been studying through this book almost for the entire year. And if there is one thing that is finally coming to a culmination is that Paul realizes, you know what, I'm where I'm at because of what God has done. And yes, I've got a past, and yes, I have a history. But I, what I fully acknowledge is, is that my past and my history, God is using. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have a past that you're pretty sure the people sitting right next to you would do one of these if they heard it. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It's the same for me. It's the same for you. We all have a past. We, we have all of us not been perfect. The challenge is, is living in God's grace to such an extent that then that testimony encourages others to say, you mean God still loves me? Yes, 
You mean God actually forgive? Do you know what I've done? Yes. I meet with people week in and week out. And here's, here's an interesting thing that I've started to notice. What I think Christians struggle with the most is actually living in God's grace. What they struggle with is forgiving themselves for their past and their mistakes and for the challenges. And they don't want to talk about it and they think they can run from it and they think that they've got to hide it or put it somewhere to where you can't tell about it or talk about it. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. If you will own your past on your knees at the foot of the cross, I'm telling you what Jesus wants to do is raise you up off of your knees and say, live, live. But unfortunately, we like the young man, say no. We go kicking and screaming. We do. Verse 4, chapter 26, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. Paul says, wait a minute, everyone around me knew who I was. How many of you have gone back to a 10, 20, 30, 40 year reunion? Have you ever, have you done that yet? Some of, just raise your hands a little higher. I mean, I can't see it. There we go. Okay. And how many of, when you went back, people were like, oh, hey, I rem- do you remember 10 years ago? And you're like, we were trying to forget that. That didn't happen to you? Because see, when you get to 20 and 30 year reunions, nobody remembers what you did 30 years prior. So you, you're usually all good, okay? But Paul, what he says here is, is I, these people remember who I was. These people know who I am. When I go home for holidays or these kinds of things, I still have uh, the two churches that I grew up, if we pick which one we go to, there are still old ladies that will walk up and go, I just, <laughs> I can't believe you're a pastor. <laughs> and I'm always struck by that at first, and I'm always like, hmm, I guess she was a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> Or maybe they saw me and my sisters on the front row every Sunday and they saw how horrible my sisters were to me. (laughs) Sometimes you can't escape your past. There will always be people around that will know where you came from. And sometimes that's just naming a city or a state. You just say, well, I'm from XYZ and people are like, oh... But it gets really difficult when people say, oh, I'm from your hometown, and I lived in your neighborhood, and I went to your school. But you see, Paul here, he has nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, he uses that as a badge, and he says, I'm not lying to anybody. You all know my past. You know how I grew up. Verse 5, they've known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Now, this is important for Paul to make his case because to this king, he is saying, look, the people that are accusing me of wrongdoing, actually, they know everything about me. And I'm not lying to them. I'm not running away from them. They know my background. I was a strict Pharisee, which means he followed all the rules. Yep. Paul, when he was called Saul, he was one of 
those kids in church. You, you know who I'm talking about? The, the, good morning, Pastor Dyer. How are you today? And they shake hands and they, you know, they got a little dress on and curtsy, you know, and they, and they just walk right down. Mother, may I sit now? And oh, yes, you may sit right now. And you're just going, who is this kid? Right? The goody two shoes. The one that just seems perfect. You guys don't seem to be relating to that statement. In fact, you're looking at your children like, they ain't our kids. <laughs> Here's the deal. Paul was awesome. Paul did it right nearly all the time. Everyone that knew Paul, the Pharisee, would say, that is somebody to emulate. He's got it going on. Verse 6, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. What he's saying is, is, look, I was raised in everything that the prophets said. All the entire Old Testament prophecies about who Jesus would be and the Messiah. He says, I believe the same thing as you. But the reason I believe the same thing as you, but the reason I'm on trial is because I believe one thing different. And that is that Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the prophecies and that my faith in Jesus Christ has changed my life. How many of you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is now, today, as a person of faith in Jesus Christ, a difference in your life today than years ago? How many of you? And I thank God for that. I do. I thank God for that because what it shows is a humility of heart that says, God, you mold me. You change me. You make me into the believer. You make me into the child of God that you want me to be. You make me into a godly woman or a godly man. You do it, God. I want what you want for my life. This is the promise our 12 tribes, verse 7, are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Now this is an indictment on the church today. Because a lot of times we introduce things, the church says, hey, I want us to live by God's grace. And the church goes, well, you know, if you just come to church on a regular basis, uh, we'll just let the Holy Spirit kind of do his thing. And, and what scripture is saying is, no, don't just come and sit, listen, and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. You do God's thing. You be gracious. You be merciful. You extend kindness. You extend a blessing to the people around you. Well, I'm waiting on God to bless my neighbors. You're supposed to be the blessing. Verse 8, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raised the dead? You see, that's the linchpin event in all of history is that God became flesh, died, and rose. Romans 6 tells us, do you not know that you who are baptized into Jesus Christ are buried with him? But because he rose, you too shall rise. That's the gospel, is that the grave isn't going to win. Cancer isn't going to win. Death does not win. 
You will be raised with all that is imperishable and taken with Jesus. This is the gospel. This is what gives us hope. In verse 9, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes on with a litany of explanations saying how he, he, he was there when people were stoned to death. How he persecuted Christians or those of the way. How he went after them to get rid of them. Why? Because they couldn't stand the thought that their religion was about to change. Notice, it's not God changing. It's that their practice of theology was about to change. No longer a sacrificial system because Jesus said, I died, rose again, no more sacrifice. No more living by the law day in and day out so as to appease God. But living in grace. Living with forgiveness. Living each and every day going, my God loves me. And that's a change. Some of you grew up in, in faiths of, uh, of other denominations, other churches. And if there's anything that I, I take a little bit of pride in, when I get to know you and you share a story and you say, you know, Pastor, until we came here to Family of Christ, I, I've heard sermon after sermon. This was the first place I heard the gospel. And I'm struggling with that because I've never even, I've never learned how to live in God's grace. And my heart breaks every time. Because what it means is, is you felt the oppression, that thumb of the law, that bit that says you've got to look like this and sound like this and act like this. And how many of you would admit today, that is burdensome. <laughs> it's heavy to live that way. On one of these journeys, verse 12 I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, and about noon, as I was on the road, I saw light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. I heard a voice say in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? This is the quintessential question. It's not, why am I here? It's, who is God? You see, why am I here makes me the subject of that sentence and that question. Why am I here? I've got to find out my purpose in life. I've got to figure out what I'm doing in this life. I've got to figure out why I've had this part of my piss, uh, past history and why I've acted this way and not done this good thing. I have to know why, and it's the wrong question. The question is, who is God? Because if God is some father with a white beard and big robe that sits on a throne and never interacts with his people, if he's just someone to try to appease so he doesn't send you to hell, then you don't know God. And if God is how you want to paint him, on the other hand, well, I just make him up, and if I feel good, or if I, uh, he's in the mountain, or he's in the, in the rainbow, or, or it's some ethereal view of, well, I'll just make God who I want him to be. Then let me tell you something, you don't know God. But if you will open the Scriptures, 
And if you will read and believe simply what God has said about himself, and not interject your own views and your own thoughts, I'll guarantee you this. You will absolutely know who God is. The answer that Saul hears is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul, what you thought you were doing for me was probably good. Not in the killing of Christians, but you were zealous. I appreciate all of those good things. But what you're doing is persecuting me. Not believers, not the world. What you're saying, Saul, is Jesus, I don't like you. I don't like that you, as God, became fully man. I don't like that you were only here for three years. I don't like that you did miracles and said, shh, don't tell anybody. I don't like that you left us. I don't like when you said, here's my body and here's my blood. Take and eat, take and drink. That doesn't make sense. I don't like that. This is the indictment today. You see, my sin persecutes God. It says, God, the way you choose to reveal yourself, the way you want me to live, I don't like it, and I don't want it for me. Get up. Stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Uh, wait a minute, did any of you read in that conviction that Saul heard Jesus say, Saul, Saul, you're persecuting me, and all of a sudden Saul said, oh, you're exactly right, I don't know what I was thinking, please forgive me. No. Now his heart did, obviously, because Jesus says, stand up, you're my witness. Do you understand what Paul's greatest witness to the Jews and the Gentiles was? His witness, his greatest witness was, I am a king screw-up. I thought I was righteous in my own life. I was Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. And you know what I realized? I was dead. And many of you look at my resume and go, man, he had it all. And he went everywhere and he did everything. And you know what? My resume means nothing. Saul... Paul was blinded and raised to a new life. That's you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. It's me. Confronted about my sin brought to my knees and then he raises you raises you you who were dead now alive you who had no hope for a future given every hope and a future he says in the latter half of verse 22 i'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and moses said would happen 
that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and then to the Gentiles. Light. The light of Christ is what is shining upon you today. And it's uncomfortable. Right? How many of you have like a flashlight or you got your phone on the nightstand right next to the, uh, you t- got the bathroom light on with the door cracked or you got a little nightlight? It's okay, you can admit if you've got a nightlight in your bedroom. How, how many of you, you, you need a little light at night? How many of you? Okay, handful. How many of you, when it, you need completely dark at night? That's, we've got the whole shade thing going, right? That's how most of us are. We like dark. How many of you, after you have laid down, your eyes are closed, you've even probably got, you know, some eye, eye deals on your eyes, make sure there's no light coming in, whatever, and somebody flips the light on. What's your, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to react out loud and verbally. Don't hit anybody if that's your normal reaction, but just verbally, I want you to do what you do when the lights come on. On. Now, I don't think many of you are, you want to hear what happens in the Dyer household when the light comes on? Turn that light off! That's right. That's about how it sounds, too. Because we're incensed. I'm in darkness, and I'm good about being in the dark. I'm asleep. Don't turn the light on. And we tell Jesus the same thing. I'm good in the dark. But when Jesus shines the light of Christ himself into our lives, I want you to know something. It isn't a bad thing. As the light shining brighter than the sun shone upon Saul, Saul was lifted in God's grace, set on feet, and told, you are now my witness to what I've done for you. Friends in Christ, I know that the world seems dark. I know that your own life seems dark at times. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ shine into that darkness. Do not be afraid of your past and the witness that comes out of it, but stand firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell someone around you. And so that you can practice, turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you. And both of you at the same time say these words, God even loves you. I love you. And I've got something to share with you. See, it's three simple words. And you go, I cannot say that to my boss. (laughs) Okay? I don't care who it is. I'm telling you, it is going to start with a relationship. Jesus called to Saul on the road because he had made him because he loved him, because he died for him. And what he had in store for Saul is the same thing for you, to be raised by his grace to speak to the ends of the earth. May God take you boldly to do so. Amen.